This podcast was originally the audio for a work of the same name for the Nearly On Red YouTube channel, found at youtube.com slash c slash nearly on red. Though not intended to be a standalone podcast, viewers frequently consume my videos for their audio content only, so I have duplicated my work in this format to hopefully save people a step. A full list of content and platforms can be found at nearlyonred.com or the short link nearly.red, N-E-A-R-L-Y dot R-E-D. Enjoy! So moving on to Bunny Girl Senpai, uh, let's talk about Laplace's Demon. We mentioned it last time and how it is sort of the conceptual opposite to Schrodinger's Cat. Uh, just to remind everyone, these are actual science concepts that are being used as an analogy. I don't think they are meant to explain what is going on. The person reaching for these metaphors is Futaba, and she's characterized as being a science and logic type. A literature student might reach for a literary analogy to explain the situation, but she is most familiar with science metaphors and thought experiments, so that is what she reaches for. Adolescent syndrome is ultimately something supernatural, and as we mentioned last time, the unintuitive nature of physics makes for a great parallel to the complexity and confusion of relationships. Anyway, Laplace's demon is about determinism, that future events proceed out of the past with certainty, much different from multiple outcomes waiting to collapse into one. All of Tomoe's attempts to stop getting asked out by throwing hints failed. Everyone but her and Sakata proceeded in the same way each day, and the dude always tried to confess. Everyone else's behavior then seems to be predetermined. They were always going to react the same way to the same inputs. Thus, Tomoe is Laplace's demon by knowing how people were going to react. Of course, Sakata also knew. He knew Mai would agree to date if he pressed a little harder, so the second time through, he skipped right to pressing her. Why was he the only other person who was retaining memories of the time loop? I think it's worth pointing out that we don't know the nature of Sakata's run-in with adolescent syndrome. It seems both related to and separate from Kayade's incident. His sister was being bullied, and that seemed to manifest as physical injury. They stopped her symptoms by sequestering her away from school and the internet, but that is not the same thing as solving the problem, right? They've treated the symptoms, but not the disease. Even besides that, why did he end up getting cut across his chest? The hospitalization incident that started rumors about him happened after the phantom injury, as a result of it. So what was his adolescent syndrome situation? Is it linked to why he was the last one able to see Mai, or even able to see her at all in the very first scene? Is it linked to why he also remembered the June 27th time loop? I don't think that he is also Laplace's demon, right? Because presumably it would have reset on the day that he failed to ask out Mai, not the days he succeeded. Unless remaining technically single is the thing he secretly desires for some reason. Now, although he and Mai are not dating thanks to the reset, this also means that he has a chance to initiate their relationship with something a little more grand. Him getting her to agree after cornering her during a lunch conversation is a little anticlimactic after the shadowed confession and rescuing her from invisibility and a month of confessing to her, right? Don't get me wrong, this whole bit was freaking adorable, 
but the second time, less so. And I feel like he might have continually screwed around with her in subsequent repeats. He now knows that she really will say yes, but she doesn't know that he knows that. You rascal. He also now knows about her role in the TV show, and knows that she was going to screw with him by saying that there is a kissing scene. And he knows that she kissed him during the time that she was invisible, believing it might wake him up like a fairy tale princess. But she doesn't know that he knows all that. It'll be interesting to see if he comes clean. He screwed up once already by assuming he'd get another chance to ask her out and didn't repair the misunderstanding right away. Perhaps this chastises him for being overconfident, or perhaps he's just going to keep pushing his luck. Although I first worried that this misunderstanding was going to inject division between him and Mai, the final scene pretty well alleviates that fear. She waited for him to come explain and apologize, but she's not going to just let it sit unresolved. I imagine she'll be way more annoyed at him for not clearing it up as soon as possible than she is about what actually happened. There is a confidence in what they have here, and a confidence she has in herself. If I'm reading her character right, then she isn't going to be unreasonably jealous about the incident with Tomoe, but she is going to lay on the guilt just to tweak him. She will thoroughly enjoy watching him squirm, but isn't actually going to push him away. Once he explains everything, I imagine she'll actually be understanding. After all, didn't he put himself out for her sake when she had her own crisis? Isn't that just the kind of guy he is? Maybe it makes her feel a little less special, but she already knew that he went through a lot of changes for his sister's sake. There is precedent. Ultimately, too, he is doing this for Mai as much or more than he is for Tomoe. Right now, the time loop appears to have been stopped thanks to the basketball dude thinking that Tomoe and Sakuta are a thing. If that misunderstanding is cleared up, things might reset. If things reset, he can never get to the tomorrow he wants where he and Mai are together. I feel like Mai can understand that line of thinking, though I fully expect her to delight in punishing him for the situation. Reminds me a lot of the beginning of Nisa Monogatari, actually, uh, but I think I'm going to stop making comparisons to the Monogatari series, even though there are quite a few of them, because I'm pretty sure anyone familiar with both will be able to draw the link. All of that is me saying that I think Mai and Sakata are probably just fine. But what I am dubious about is the solution they have come up with to allow the misunderstanding to continue. I understand the logic, right? It drives the dude away without embarrassing him or revealing that he crushed on Tomoe rather than Rina. But as Sakata points out, she is about to tell a lie to the entire school. That might have some unintended consequences because they are putting a lie out into the atmosphere, which seems to have a bad habit of making things come true. I don't know exactly what that might mean, but let's go ahead and talk about this notion of atmosphere, okay? Uh, the way it has been described by Sakata in those earlier episodes makes it sound like atmosphere is another way of saying the prevailing social norms. We are social creatures, and we take cues from others to inform our own behavior. Every grouping of people has its own range of behaviors and beliefs that are acceptable and those which are not. Your work environment probably has a different atmosphere than your friend circle, which has its own sub-atmosphere relative to the larger group of your peers, and so on, out to where whole nations have their distinct notions of what belongs and what doesn't. 
Whether or not we are always conscious of it, we take hints from the others around us. It's why we lower our voice when we enter a bookstore or stand up to applaud once others start doing so. One of the driving motivations behind keeping up with fashion is that it's a way to signal to others that you obey social norms, that you are socially competent. You are on the inside of the boundaries of what is acceptable, making you safe to approach. You can even see this in which anime shows are acceptable to like or not. If the fandom deems a show acceptable to hate, you can bet people will come out of the woodwork to crap on it rather than just ignore it as something they don't care for. Anyway, if there is one environment where this atmosphere is particularly palpable, it's a high school. A pressure cooker of people figuring themselves out and preparing to face adulthood and sorting out how to navigate social currents and read the atmosphere is part of that process. In our series, this atmosphere can alter reality itself. Once it becomes okay by social norms to bully Kaede, once that is what the atmosphere deems acceptable, then this abuse manifests physically. Mai started school after social groups had coalesced, putting her on the outside of the social circles. She was considered an outsider, and so it became socially normal to ignore her presence. She read this environment correctly and embraced it, in no small part because of enjoying the relative anonymity. But thanks to adolescent syndrome, the accepted atmosphere began changing actual reality, causing the universe itself to start ignoring her. I think this somewhat oppressive version of the atmosphere is actually cleverly represented in the story by the density of students in most scenes. Animating background characters takes time and resources, and if you've watched much anime, you should recognize that this series puts way more background students into the scenes than is normal. This is especially obvious and out of place on the train and on the street near the school, which are actually places outside of the school itself. And yet, the environment is packed with students and their conversations and interactions and all the social cues and hints they're taking from one another. This density reinforces the substance of this atmosphere idea, that it is a thick and pervasive even outside the school grounds. It has presence far beyond some abstract idea. Now, we still don't know exactly what happened with Sakuta, but if we look at Tomoe's example, we can see once again that it is the acceptance of a social group that is at the center of things. The dude asking her out isn't her concern at all. She's worried about the repercussions of turning him down as it relates to her class and friend group. She's afraid of the embarrassment of being alone should she lose her only friends. They even allude to the potential for more adolescent syndrome problems in the future with Futaba's new love crisis, which means all of these instances have something in common. They center around rejection, around being made to feel on the outside. Even the hospitalization incident creates rumors that uh, create an outsider situation for Sakata. We will probably have to wait to see more of Tomoe's situation or learn more about Sakata's situation to understand completely what the atmosphere is capable of. Maybe it's the fear of rejection being manifest Maybe the atmosphere is the collective unconscious and it imposes rejection on its own. But I am sure that it is all about social in-groups and out-groups, and particularly how an individual relates to those ideas. Mai's desire to go to a world where no one knew her probably influenced what happened to her, 
but right now I feel like her status as outsider was also a requirement for her disappearance to have triggered. Anyway, next time I imagine we will see how the atmosphere reacts to the lie and how Mai reacts to Sakata's plan. And then I guess I will react to those reactions. Title music by Russell J. Crowe, other music licensed from the artists at Audio Jungle. Script, performance, and editing by Theta. Theta is played by Redacted. Original video can be found at youtube.com slash C slash nearlyonred. And a full list of credits is available at nearlyonred.com. Until next time, thanks for everything.